Our scripture reading today comes from two passages. Verses John 3, verses 1 through 15, and then 2 Ephesians 2, just verse 8. In our scripture reading today, we're going to hear first about a curious man coming to Jesus with questions, only to leave confused because he hasn't yet received the gift that would enable him to understand everything Jesus was saying to him. And so lest we hear the same words and leave confused ourselves, let's pray for God's Spirit to grant us ears to hear what He has to say to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank You for the gift of Your written Word. May your spirit speak to our hearts now through the reading and preaching of that word. We ask through your spirit that we may be given the grace to see Jesus Christ, our only hope of salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. John 3, 1 through 15, and then Ephesians 2, 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. From Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all can come up and join me. Alright guys, you gotta use your imagination. 
imagination now for me uh, a little bit. I want you to imagine that you are freezing in the Alaskan winter. What would you want to build? A fire. Yes, a fire. Well, an igloo would, would, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. All right. But uh, let's, let's say that we want to build a fire. And let's pretend that we're in Alaska. Uh, all right. Uh, I need the two of you. All right, here, I want you to go ahead and build a fire. There's some logs. Ellen, you can come up. All right, I'm going to give you guys uh, a little less than a minute, but go ahead and see if you can build a fire real quick. There you go, work together. All right, you got your logs. You get them out. All right, oh, I see Eleanor. Get that friction going. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Any smoke yet? No. No?
And that faith in Him is what God is using to save us, to warm our cold hearts and give us life with Him both now and forever. And because once God starts that fire, it'll never go out. That's why we call this good news. you believe it? Thanks, Jeff. You can go back to your seat. Thank you, Sam, for making my job so much easier. It's nice to visit a church and only do the sermon. Uh, it is great to be with you folks this morning. Um, I want to begin by saying, um, I'd mentioned to Philip even a couple of months ago, I just want to thank you for, uh, I think about 25 of members of this church helped us move in in December, uh, just about six or seven months ago. So thank you for coming out on a Sunday afternoon and doing that. And uh, also, uh, the session voted to, um, I was looking for a bookkeeper because we church planners have to send our M&A missionary, Mission to North America money some, to some church so we can be paid. So uh, your, uh, your treasurer actually writes my check, and I really appreciate that. And, uh, and Jessica helps me as well as the secretary. So your gift to us as uh, church planners is, uh, is very, very important, very helpful. So I wanted to say thank you. Um, this morning as we come to John chapter 3, uh, this is probably, you know, John chapter 3 is a, a rather familiar text because it's where John 3.16 is. And John 3.16 is perhaps, uh, you may know it as the gospel in a nutshell, uh, that you can memorize that verse and share it with someone and talk about the gospel. Um, but the first 15 verses are, are very interesting, very insightful uh, to see what Jesus is doing. Uh, the title of the sermon is The Great Gift of Faith. But as we come to this, we could call it Jesus Evangelizes Nicodemus. He evangelizes Nicodemus. You know, and today when we talk about the subject of evangelism, we probably even evaluate ourselves and say, well, how am I doing in that? Or am I very good at that? And often the Christians I run into say, well, no, I'm, I'm not very good at that. Or, I struggle with that. Uh, many times it takes a lot of nerve, a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence, and you're waiting for the right moment, and you don't want it to be awkward. Um, I told my teenagers years ago, if you're going to avoid awkward at every moment, you will never do much ministry. Uh, ministry is often a little awkward. Um, but here Jesus is evangelizing Nicodemus. And there's so much more under the surface. And his intentions and his purpose of what he's doing. And so this morning as we come to this, I want you to think in terms of evangelism. But another thing that I know in ministry that I have often, uh, anyone who's been trained in ministry, we, we talk about the terms of Evangelism and discipleship, right? We talk about how a person comes to faith and then they need to meet with someone and they can learn the scriptures, get involved in the church, come to Sunday school, small groups, or whatever. And we sort of understand those things linear. And we, you know, we appreciate the, the linear thought that's, uh, that's helpful for us. But Jesus here is evangelizing Nicodemus and he's also discipling him at the same time. And Jesus calls us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. So let us learn from Jesus as we come to this. Let me pray again as we get started. 
Father, thank you again for your word. And in this hour, Lord, I pray uh, that I would not go beyond scripture or fall short of all that you have for us. Lord, would you edify your church? Uh, would you clarify the gospel? Would you call people to yourself by your spirit's power? Would you equip the saints for the good work of ministry? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we come here, we see that, that, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He is a ruler of the Jews. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but in Bible study through my life, it seems the, the Pharisees sort of get a bad reputation. You know, they're the ones that Jesus speaks sternly to. He, he says harsh things to them sometimes. He says in John 8, believe in me or die in your sins. I don't know of any more of a, a greater confrontation that Christ would say to people, other than maybe what he would say to Satan. But he said strong things to the Pharisees, and we sort of begin to maybe categorize them as, as the lost religious people. But yet the Pharisees are a group of people who are very studied. Um, you might call them the, the seminary professors of the day. They're supposed to know the gospel. They're training people. They're leading the church, leading the synagogues. And they certainly know the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Bible at this point. And we might even say, well, why do we need to break this down? You know, why do we need to understand uh, the things here? Uh, you know, the, the theological term is regeneration. That's what Jesus is teaching on. He's teaching on you must be born again. And that's regeneration. And why do we need to do that? Well, I know that for various personality types, it's like uh, um, I've heard uh, some of my in-laws say, when it comes to cars, I don't need to know anything about the car as long as it starts when I turn the ignition. That's all that matters. If I turn the key and it comes on and goes in gear and takes me from point A to point B, you know, we understand that practical utilitarian use, right? But as I have raised, uh, raising four kids and have three adult children, and they're often out somewhere, like my daughter and son, and another daughter were at a wedding in Georgia last week, and uh, they said, Dad, the belt on the motor is, uh, it's got some strings on it, and we cut off 10 inches. And I said, well, that's a serpentine belt, and there's only one belt in that motor, and it won't run without the serpentine belt. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, you know, I've, I've tried to teach my kids something about cars more than just you turn the key and it works. But to understand a few mechanical things, uh, wet pavement, uh, you know, we can go on and on. And you who have taught your kids to drive, you, you all of a sudden realize there's like 50 things to tell them now that you take for granted every day. You, you pull up to an intersection, you look right, you look left, and you double look, and then you go, right? Correct? Don't turn right, turn correct, yeah, whatever. So the confusion is it takes more than you think, and even Christianity is, the gospel is simple. We need to keep it simple in evangelism. But yet, the complexity of what God wants us to teach us about how things work. You know, Jesus is teaching on regeneration because it matters that we understand this. 
that we understand the gospel and how God works and how he draws people to himself. And I didn't really give this much thought until I was around 19. And I was studying the confession and reading things I'd never heard before. And, and it was causing me to think deeper about the scripture. And I actually became a Presbyterian, even though I was raised in PCA, but I became a Presbyterian at 19. But, so I want you to see here that the first thing that Jesus gives is understanding. He's, uh, Nicodemus says to him, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God and the one who can do things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, of course, this caused confusion to Nicodemus. He's like, well, what are you talking about? And then he goes on to say, can I go back in my mother's womb? I, I don't understand Jesus. And you may, you know, what is Jesus doing here? You know, could he make it easier for him? But yet Jesus goes on to say, unless you are born, uh, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, Nicodemus probably feels like me on the fourth day of calculus at Tennessee Tech, saying, wow, I don't get it, because I didn't take calculus in high school, my failure. And so, you know, you, you know when you like, I've heard a bunch of facts, but I, I really don't get this. What are you talking about? But Christ here is teaching Nicodemus the same lesson of Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 24 and 25, God says to Israel through Ezekiel, I'll call you out of the nations and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. You see, regeneration is taught to Israel back in Ezekiel 36 and other places. And so Jesus here is drawing on the principle of God must wash you clean. And then he must take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that is God working. God drawing you to himself in faith and enabling you by that same spirit to live for him. You know, why did Israel believe in the coming Messiah in the Old Testament? I know that I'm sure that you all have been taught well and great preaching here for decades. Um, but the coming Messiah was the savior of the Old Testament. If Adam and Eve are in heaven, it's because Jesus died for their sins. And so everyone in the Old Testament looks forward to the Messiah that came. We look back to the Messiah who has come. And we all know that he is the apex of history. You know, Christianity causes us to study the scriptures, to read the Bible uh, from beginning to end, to try to understand and grapple with some of the more difficult things and say, well, how does this work? And we find that the Bible gives us a gospel that is simple, but yet it applies to so many areas of life. That it applies to parenting, it applies to marriage, 
It applies to working for the glory of God. It applies to understanding the future of glory is better than this life. And even how to do this ministry that God has called us to. Nicodemus needed to understand why he would believe when he believed. And so if you believe, it's because you have received the Spirit and you have been born of the Spirit. You have been born again because God took out your heart of stone. He regenerated your heart. And we repent and believe because of that. You know, the wind is a great illustration here that Christ is using. I remember my dad telling me one time when we were fishing and, and I said, well, you see the wind on the lake. He said, actually, you don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. And sometimes out on the water on a big lake, the wind will blow really hard and it'll white cap. And you'll see the waves rolling over these white waves, almost like a mini ocean. We see the effects of the wind. It's a mystery to us. But it's revealed to us that the Spirit is why we believe. This also gives us humility, which deals with our pride. You know, in many ways, I think a great question for every Christian is to meditate on why are you a Christian? Why? Are you smarter than your lost neighbor who perhaps has a PhD and teaches at the university? You know, why are you a Christian? How were you rescued? And I believe that Jesus wants us to get this because this helps us get mercy and grace. It helps us really understand mercy. I think because of so many of the great hymns of the church that use the word mercy, and um, I'm a former RUF campus minister like Philip and I noticed the indelible grace hymnal uses so much of mercy that we named our the church we planted in Morgantown Mercy. And I remember people asking me, are you going to run a soup kitchen? You know, why are you calling your church mercy? And I said, because of the theology of mercy. I want people to understand that all we have is the mercy of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's not that we earn God's mercy in any way, but it's evidence that we receive mercy when we are merciful to our spouses and our children, to our neighbor, to the stranger that cuts us off in traffic. All sorts of opportunities to be merciful. Nicodemus needed to understand mercy. Jesus gives him the gospel with the bronze serpent at the end of this passage. He doesn't just confuse Nicodemus and leave him in a cloud of, of worry and wonder, but no, he reminds him of Numbers 21. It says, just as the bronze serpent was lifted up and the people looked to the bronze serpent and they could be saved, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And that's the mercy of God. You know, if you were back in Numbers 21 and you were told that you know, in order to be saved, you've got to look up at this serpent. This is what you have to do. You might feel kind of silly, like, really? That's, that's what we have to do? That's odd. There's a lot of things that God called his people to do. And they had to do them just because God said so. Not because they could wrap their mind around it and understand it easily. 
But because God said so. This is the mercy of God in the Old Testament. The bronze serpent that would be a type that points to Jesus. He would be lifted up. This is God's grace. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And I believe when we understand that, that, that we have a deeper worship. When we realize, why do I believe? It's because God has had mercy on me and opened my eyes. He's given me the energy. He's invigorated me. He's giving me the spark of fire to light this fire. And it only comes from Him. Jesus' mission is also through Nicodemus. You know, one of the things that's insightful when we look at the Greek here is that in verse 7, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That the Greek for you is plural. And so let me read verse uh, 7 to you again. Y'all must be born again. Or use guys. Depends on where you're from. You all must be born again. Also in verse 11. He says, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. But you all do not receive our testimony. Once again, you is in plural. Verse 12. If I had told you all of earthly things, and you all do not believe, how can you all believe if I tell you all of heavenly things? Again, four more plural uses of the word you. And we use the word you that way too. We say, do you want to come? And that's proper English. We may be speaking to a group of people. But we like to clarify in the South and say, y'all. Y'all come for dinner. Jesus here is speaking to Nicodemus in the plural. Isn't that curious? Why would he do that? <coughs> because the gospel is not just about Nicodemus, but it's about Christ's mission through Nicodemus. That Jesus is really addressing the Pharisees as he addresses Nicodemus. I think he is educating and discipling Nicodemus so he will go back and he will influence the rest of the Pharisees. And hopefully you know the gospel is not about you. We, we know Matthew 28, go and make disciples. You know, go and, and speak the gospel uh, to your neighbor, to your relatives. Pray for the moment. Pray for the opportunity. As a church planner, we pray specifically for a lot of things. We pray for divine appointments. I've been going to a restaurant repeatedly on a weekly basis, and I, I know the, the people there, the waiters and, and the waitresses, and I've talked to them. They know me by name. They know I'm a church planner. And I even sit at the bar because I'm eating alone often. So I sit at the bar and often someone comes for lunch and I, I wait for a conversation to happen. And I've had many good ones. 
We pray for those opportunities. Because the mission is about reaching people. Before I came here, we prayed and prayed that, that I would somehow get my foot in the high school there. The big high school with 1,500 students, Duquesne County High. And so I started using some of my old connections with FCA. And FCA made me a chaplain so I could speak at McMinn County High School on a weekly basis to 45 students. You know, not bragging, I'm praising the Lord that my congregation is 45 students right now in McMinn County. And I look forward to doing FCA weekly within just a few weeks as school starts back. We prayed specifically for um, to get our Bible study out of the house. And so just this past week, my wife was having coffee with our realtor, and she said, well, why don't you use our Keller Williams office on Highway 11? What a great location. We probably could never afford real estate on Highway 11. But to have our Bible study on Highway 11 beside Lowe's, anyone know where Lowe's is? <laughs> That's answered prayer. And we pray specifically, and the Spirit moves and answers, question, answers prayers for us. Even answers questions about understanding. I want to ask you this. Who defends Jesus in John 7, 50? As the Pharisees are sitting around wanting to bring charges up on Jesus, it's Nicodemus who speaks, speaks up and says, let's give this man a fair hearing. Let's hear what he has to say. And I'm convinced, even as, as Sam mentioned just a moment ago, that I don't think Nicodemus is a Christian in John chapter 3. And that's why this story is so interesting to me. Is Jesus is giving him lots of good information, even good theology. But he's not a believer yet. He's confused and bewildered and like, I, I can't go back to my mother's womb. What, what are you talking about? I'm sure he wanted to talk to Jesus more. But this gives us worship when we understand that it's the Spirit of God of how we receive mercy. When we say the Apostles' Creed, He will return to judge the quick and the dead. Who are the quick? You ever wonder? That old language? They're quicker than the dead, at least. But they've been quickened by the Spirit. It's an old English language. They've been quickened by the Holy Spirit. And if you believe this day, it's because your heart has been quickened. This affects our affections in worship. You know, do you really worship when you come to worship? I know as a leader in worship that sometimes my mind is so busy and engaged that I have to remember to worship as I lead in worship. Musicians work hard as they play instruments. They've got to hit every note. And I think it's amazing when the musician actually sings and plays. You know, it's like two instruments at once. But do you really worship? I know as a child I enjoyed sleeping during the sermon. That's what I did. But God has stirred up your heart to worship the one who saved you. The one who treasures you, who's already given you glory and promised you eternal life. I ask you one more question. Who buried Jesus? Do you know? John chapter 19. Nicodemus shows up with 70 pounds 
the typical uh, respectful Jewish burial. Now, some of you know your Bible well enough to say, well, Joseph of Arimathea. But John 19 also says that Nicodemus was there too. That Nicodemus is there in John chapter 19. And if I ask you, where are the 12 disciples? Nowhere to be found to bury their Lord. You know, we have a rooster as the logo of our church. And I know that's puzzling, but the purpose is to create conversation. It's not just because I think I'm in a farming community. But if you go back and study um, in Scottish history, where we trace our history, you will see some churches that had a rooster and a weather vane on top of the steeple to remind us of Peter, who denied Christ three times. And in John 21, Jesus restores him three times and says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, go get the disciples and Peter. You know, Peter denied Christ and was probably so ashamed that he might not have come. But it's as if Jesus was saying, make sure you bring Peter. Peter was the spokesman for the disciples. I would argue that all the disciples denied Jesus. Oh, Peter did it openly as he was asked, aren't you one of them? By the campfire. And Jesus, by the fire that morning, restores Peter and recommissions him for ministry. And in Acts, we see Peter preaching and 3,000 saved. God had plans for Peter, just as he had plans and has plans for you and for me. But part of this comes from understanding our salvation, like understanding how to drive a car, the details that are necessary to be saved and to do it well. To love our neighbor. Understanding regeneration gives us real worship, deeper worship. But it also calls us to pray. Because we know we're at the mercy of God or no one will be converted. It's a miracle of God's grace when that person says, oh, I think I believe. In Morgantown, we had a couple that showed up at our church one Sunday morning, and uh, he was uh, from Georgia Tech and had a Ph.D., and uh, they both were from China, and they had a child named Dora. She looked just like Dora the Explorer. You remember that cartoon? So they walk in the door, and as they walk in the door, she says immediately, I'm a Christian. He's not. They go, oh, welcome. Good to have you. She was real clear. Six months later in November, he says to me at Thanksgiving dinner, he says, Pastor, I want to be baptized. I said, wow, praise the Lord. You want to be baptized, so you believe? Yes. And we prayed and prayed. And even in Athens, we've had a conversion. We had a lady that was coming to our Bible study, and we knew her husband wasn't interested in anything spiritual. He'd never shown any interest in spiritual things for 17 years of their marriage. 
So we prayed and prayed. We prayed for him by name. And two months later, she says, my husband's Christian. My husband's Christian. I said, praise the Lord. That's what we pray for. And, you know, ministry is free. You, you give it away because here's what happened. They went and joined the local Baptist church down the road. And they're no longer in our courtroom. But that's okay. It's the Lord's church from the capital city. But we've had a conversion in Athens. Glory to God. The Spirit worked. She's so thrilled. But now she goes to church with her husband for the first time. We have to pray and ask the Lord to pour out His Spirit to make disciples. What I want you to see here is that Jesus is making a disciple of Nicodemus. Because it's going to permeate the whole group of Pharisees. We see in Acts where priests are converted. God cares about religious people too. He cares about the Pharisees. And Nicodemus seems to be a strategic conversion. Nicodemus wants Jesus to be heard in John 7. And after the cross, Nicodemus, I think, risked his own life to go and bury Jesus and give him a proper burial. I think by then, Nicodemus was born again. For by grace you've been saved. Your faith is a gift from God. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this great gift. But we know it's mysterious to us. Even as C.S. Lewis said on his ride to the zoo, that when he arrived, he believed. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you for your miraculous grace that opens our eyes to see Jesus, that convicts us of sin and convinces us of grace, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, thank you for teaching us how to do ministry and how it works and what's necessary. Would you help us, Lord? We pray that you would further your kingdom through us. Lord, I thank you for Trinity Presbyterian Church here in Cleveland and all the great things and the countless ministry you're doing through this body. We pray that you would protect it, that you would cause it to flourish. We pray in Christ's name.